Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay. Um, Apparently, some way, it feels we might slowly be emerging. I want to say a la Shakespeare from the winter of our discontent, but (laughs) we're talking of the two years of discontent as we're crawling up onto Purim, the celebration of um, our being saved in Iran. Is anybody from Iran listening in today? Oh, yeah, Iran's listening in. Oh, so we can mention Purim today. Anyway, um, it was two years ago when they were muttering and talking about this crazy disease and people were being masked. And is it two years? Is it three years? Is it a decade? So indeed, some of us are emerging from this winter of discontent. Listeners in this morning are including, it's late at night, oh my gosh, in the United States. Canada is with us today. Germany is with us this morning. Jamaica, um, Iran, the UK is listening in, our friends in Kenya and Mexico. Indeed, hands across the equator, hands across the map. We are together. We're going to talk about uh, today Um, We have a lot of things to talk about. Again, we are coming up to Purim, but we're also coming up to Pesach. And Pesach, we can't do it in a one-week show, so we're going to start to discuss it a little bit. We're going to start to talk about preconceived ideas, um, part of the glory of growing up, growing smarter by growing, dare I say, dumber, knowing less, the joy, the bracha, the gift from heaven of indeed knowing less. Because it used to be my belief that as we got older, uh, we would get tougher, we would become more immune. And for anyone listening to the news, we cannot run away from it. We cannot hide from the bloodshed, the mayhem, the horror of what is unfolding and remain immune. My name is Andrea Simito. We'll speak more about that on the other side. Israel is located in one of the most volatile areas in the world. Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I really have to express gratitude, great gratitude 
um, not only for those who listen to this program and podcast, which is terrific, but for those who are getting up at all kinds of ungodly hours of the day and night or staying up, putting, I don't know, toothpicks in their eyelids to hold them open and listening in. I'm very grateful. And certainly I want to say now, because I may forget later on, something piques your interest, something you want to share, something you have a question about, um, or just want to introduce yourself and say, hi, feel free to drop me a note. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Love getting those notes. And I can't think of a time when I did not respond. And if I didn't write back to you, tell me, scold me. Uh, today's show is, um, I'm, it's in the merit of Rafua Shalema, a complete recovery for the patients. Itifegi um, Basara, Tehila Rifka Baselka Devora, and Yishai Lavi Ben Talia Ruth. Okie doke. So um, we just wish everybody and anybody who's suffering physically, emotionally, mentally, um, anyway, please, let's all pray for one another. And remember, if our tapestry is torn, the entire tapestry is compromised. You know, it was my belief that as we got older, as I said, you know, we get tougher, we become more inured to the stories of all those stories of agony, you know, can't be bothered. You know, I've heard it all before. Um, And even immune to silly gossip. So one thing is correct. Certainly in my case, the gossip thing is very accurate. I am immune. I am deaf to it. And still, still, how can we, how can we close our eyes to stories of heartbreak, destruction, bloodshed, more coming out of the Ukraine after these two years of COVID isolation? I don't know about you. I went shopping yesterday. I bought nothing. And yet, I didn't even know how to say it. The prices were through the roof. Joblessness, disenfranchisement, deaths, divorces, desolation, depression. How can one not be affected? I'm affected. We are affected. You know, there are days when I feel I have no wisdom left to share with my children. Ma, what do you think about? Ah, well, my spouse, my clients. But all is not lost. Those are the days. Those are the days when you stop, you sit on a bench, or you hold the trunk of a tree, or a wrought iron fence. You take a moment or remain in your car, and you feel his hand on your shoulder. You wait his hand in the small of your back. Those are the days where all of us must stop those futile, silly attempts to manipulate outcomes, immaterial stuff. Indeed, each day I wake up and it becomes clearer and clearer that all of my previous beliefs, my knowledge, my opinions, and my general, my general geniusness is really kind of barren. What matters? The only things that matter are our connections to one another. And you can fill in the blank for who one another is. It can be blood. It could be a stranger. It could be a relative, a friend, an acquaintance. And of course, 
the Gansa, the big umbrella is our connection to God. You know, on Yom Kippur, we're all over the you know holiday map, but nothing, nothing is separate in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism. On Yom Kippur, we can ask God for forgiveness. That's the easy part. Asking one another, ah, what are we doing on the connection front? You know, I want to tell you something about um, that Jewish thing, that club. Um, you know, we, we were signed up, those of us who were born Jewish, I'm not talking right now, that's a whole separate subject, Jews by choice. Um, although I, I, I think it does connect. But you know, from that moment, we were conceived for whatever conceiving means. We were members of the club. It wasn't something to give up. A client told me this week, it was interesting. She said to me, she was nervous. She's going away for Cholamoyed Pesach, the uh, intermediate days of the Passover holiday. And she's like embarrassed because she's going to have her Seder and they're having guests for the Seder, but she's not certain that she's going to be observing Passover uh, the way that her relatives would approve of, give her a round of applause. And you know, (laughs) since when did I become mother confessor? You know, I'm just trying to wing it here each day. But, you know, I told her a story. I just wanted to share a story. Oh, good morning. Norway is listening in and very interesting. Good morning, Russia. Um, and I told her a story it was actually the beginning of my enlightenment before I became truly Torah observant. And I thought maybe you'll find this interesting. Let me know. Drop me a note. I was a young girl 107 years ago. And I had gone to Paris on a school trip. I can't believe my parents were extremely traditional. But you know what? They also had a very hard time, as so many of uh, us parents do, having a very hard time to say no to their daughter. And they were having a school trip, a Long Island public school. And it was actually going to take place during the holiday of Passover, including the first two days of Passover, the Knights of the Seder. And my parents, I cannot believe it. I have to ask my mother about this. What was she thinking? They let me go. I cried. I wept. I don't remember. But I went. And Passover night came. And we were bopping around Paris, you know, for those few days, we young teenagers. And in our group, we were a mixed group. We were Jews, non-Jews. None of us were obviously observant Jews. If we were all Jewish kids eating butter on our steaks in Paris, And somebody said, you know, tonight's Passover, uh, you know, should we have a Seder? Anybody want to do a Seder? And there was laughter. I can't even tell you the year. The year must have been mm, 69, 70. I I don't remember. And we got together a group of us. Maybe there were seven of us, boys, girls. And somebody spoke to the restaurant kitchen. And of course, it wasn't kosher. But we asked that nothing, no trafe of fish or meat be uh, sold, meaning no pork, no uh, uh, seafood, you know, shrimps and that kind of thing and everything. And we had, it was clearly non-kosher wine. We didn't know where to get matzah. And so we had crackers on the table. And none of us really knew the Haggadah. But everybody had a piece. Somebody remembered the four questions. Somebody remembered the story. 
We knew the song, Hagadya. We knew Dayenu. And we sat around identifying as Jews in, as we say, Olam Hagoyim, in the world of the people. And it was very, very meaningful. And people stopped and they passed and they looked. And somebody knew the bracha on the wine. And none of us knew to, how to wash for the matzah, or, and it wasn't matzah. And we made a vow that for the rest of our trip during Passover, none of us even had a calendar, but somebody said, well, I think it ends on this and this a day. We wouldn't eat bread. I think we wouldn't eat bread or we eat pasta. And that was the Passover that opened my eyes to the glorious, the gloriousness of Jewish identity and our connections to one another. I say this because we all have a beautiful opportunity every day, every moment of the day to forgive ourselves for not knowing what we didn't know. And that goes in everything to honor our paths, to trust the journey, to learn, to grow, to evolve, to become, to heal. Because what is the most beautiful thing about this life? And I say this as I'm looking out of my Jerusalem window and I see the, the trees, buds are starting to come out and birds in between. It looks like it's going to rain later, but actually there are parrots flying around. Spring is emerging. And you know, that's the beautiful thing about life and life. Remember, where there is life, there is hope. Where there is life, there is dreaming. Where there is life, there are possibilities. And that beautiful thing is that in life, we can always change. We can grow and we can get better. Not anyone listening to this program, whether it be live or via the podcast, is defined by, your, by our past. You are not defined by your past. If you think you are, that's a narrative you're telling yourself. We are not our mistakes. When I get back, I'm going to open the next session by telling you something. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Something very funny that happened to me this week. And I want to know your thoughts about it on how we perceive ourselves. Do we see ourselves as young as snappy? Do we see ourselves as wise and old beyond our years? Um, and the way we perceive ourselves, is that the way others are seeing us? Had something very embarrassing happen to me this week. And who else can I tell except you, my dearest friends? <laughs> I want to know if you find it humorous or you're as mortified as I was. Ha <laughs> have that for a teaser. Stay tuned. See you on the other side. The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. And we're back, Andrea. I'm sorry. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Isn't it interesting? I get to that really heavy-duty stuff, and then I pick up and I'm laughing. I just wanted to tell you, I'm so devoted to this station that I am actually, I have a new computer. The computer is like the size of my, well, I have a very small car, but it's about the size of my car looking it's very large. But I have an Israel News Talk Radio dot com mouse pad and i have to tell you this sucker is a game changer an absolute game changer all right so i'm looking at these notes uh india has joined us good morning india is it morning in india what time is it huh i really should know more okay um i should know more about a lot of things so clearly i think that if something fascinates me it would indeed fascinate you uh, that is something that comes out from having no friends. Anyway, I wanted to tell you a story. Something happened to me this week. And I want to know if anybody listening in, um, you know, my father, may he rest in peace, used to, <laughs> whenever he would see somebody who was particularly fit, my father had been very fit in his youth, but listen, he he was quite sick at the end of his life. Um, it was not a good end. But every time he met somebody who was a runner, a jogger, a weightlifter, he would puff up his chest. And I remember he would walk on the beach. I mean, it looked like it hurt him. He would, like, would walk with his chest all puffed out as though he were doing the, uh, you know, the Charles Atlas thing. And I realized that even as he aged, even as he deteriorated, he saw himself as a contender, as a contender, as viable and vibrant. Well, I have to tell you, I'm just sharing this. Don't tell this to anybody else. I frequently see myself as a babe. I mean, really, I get out there. So I've been taking this course. It was a four-night intensive seminar. Um, I was very happy because most of it was online, so I could do it in my pajamas, which I do very well. But two nights we had to go out and be in public and meet the other seminar participants. And there were 11 of us. Everybody, as usual with everything I do, everybody was very young. I took a look. Everybody was 30 years younger than me. 30 years? Yeah, about then. 30, 35, 25 years younger. But there was one woman. She was an, I think that she was really quite elderly, um, dressed in a way that I recognized. I, you know, I knew, I knew which religious community she came from. And she was wearing orthopedic shoes because she looked like her feet were really kind of hurt. And during the first break, and I was in jeans and a t-shirt and like a denim jacket that I took from one of my kids. Um, and I'm sitting there and she came to me during the break and said, <laughs> already laughing, and said to me, oh, I was so happy when I saw you walk in. We bubbies have to stick together. Bubby is the Yiddish for um, um, a grandmother. Oh, 
I think I may have told the story last week. Well, if I did tell it last week, it's still affecting me. I don't perceive myself in that way. I'm still laughing. I looked at her. I was like, such outrage. Like, how do you lump me up with that kind of thing? I'm not in the bubby mode. I told you, I I still think that I drive past the high school or I can go places. Like if I would go out with girlfriends, I'm sure that, you know, people would, 25 year old men would find me very, very attractive. Not so much. They would say, yeah, you're old enough to be my grandmother. Anyway, how we perceive ourselves is very, very interesting. And I'm asking you, do you think that in terms of self-perception, it is good to be a little bit delusional or is it silly? Do we want to, I mean, we sometimes see people that are dressed very inappropriately um, where we sit and say, gee, you know, what is she doing in that skirt? Or why is he wearing those like super tight pants? Or is that a good thing? Does that reflect something good about a person, their perspective? I find it very interesting. Okay. Let's see. Um, no, that story is too boring. Ah, this is interesting. Came across a story this week, again, I'm beginning to think I have a theme on this show, starting over, starting new, starting fresh, read an article, I cannot remember, might have been from The Guardian, it wasn't from Psychology Today, it was, might have been from The Guardian, 74-year-old woman whose name is Brioni Harris, I believe that she is originally, uh, she's actually Danish, but she's practicing in Norway, At the age of 69, she became a psychotherapist. She had been, you know, one of these, she had been an architect, a photographer. She ran a bookshop, really very much a Renaissance gal. And she took her pension money, her entire pension, and she went back to school. I found this story fascinating because, again, when people sit and say, I'm too old for this, are we really saying I'm too old for this? Or are we saying I'm too tired to invest in this? I am no longer investing of myself and in myself. I found this unbelievable that this woman, she was able to tune in. She said, you know, I had this kind of therapy side of me. I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating. I don't know this is exactly what she said, but uh, if you want, I'll send you the link to the article, but that she found that there was a therapy side lurking in her background and that she had worked for many years volunteering at a refuge for people who had experienced abuse. And she really loved the work. She found herself in it. I just thought that that was a wonderful, wonderful story. And then this is very cute. She said that she's a very can-do person. And what are her words? I'm telling you, she must have been listening to the voice in my head, quote, I really love a good challenge. Sometimes you can feel very stuck, but that is how I have lived my life. Um, I just like that. And I'd like to share that to you. And I'd like to know what you think about it. Interesting. On the Israel front, hold on one second. I need to take a cup of tea, a sip of tea. Delicious. Delicious. Moments of gratitude, indeed came across an interesting article, you know, in all this horrible period we've been going through, we lost a lot of the rhythm. And for a long time, we talked about the organization Birthright, Birthright Israel. So apparently 
five years, um, I don't know if it was five years ago, but they raised the, it used to be the trips to Israel. The decision was, the idea was that it's a chance for Jews, uh, young Jews, I don't know how old, 18 years old, uh, 18 to 26 was the idea, who had never been to Israel before to come to Israel, to experience Israel, literally a paid for trip. It was designed to give young Jews who were most mostly Americans, although I think they've spread it to other countries or, you know, imitation programs, kind of a crash course in Israeli history and culture in the hopes of kind of convincing them to remain involved in Jewish life, pro-Israel causes, and um, hopefully to have them marry Jewish. And so the, the birthright program was offered to any young Jewish adult. I got the number 18 and up who had never been to Israel or their previous trips were not really rooted. So in 1999, they established this and they later on extended the age to 32. What happened? This is interesting. When they extended it to 32, because people were complaining, they said, listen, I never went and I only heard about birthright and I really want to participate in it. What they found out was that a lot of the 26 year olds were postponing their trips, um, thinking I can get to it later. And so the 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 directorship came up and said, you know, we believe that by creating a more structured time frame to participate They'll make it a priority at a time when they can engage and benefit. I have to tell you, I live in a section of the city where there's a lot of Aliyah from Western countries. And if I tell you, maybe half of the young people I speak with, young couples raising families here, they're invested, their children are in nursery school, the husbands and wives are working in high tech and tourism, they discovered Israel through birthright. It really has been a holy organization, has had its share of detractors, um, has been infiltrated by young Jews who um, who used it, who were really very committed to the BDS system. But nevertheless, it's also drawn its support from the Genesis Philanthropy Group and founded by uh, the Russian Drew. I think they have like a Russian program sending young Russian Jews to Israel on a similar program. Anyway, I wanted to throw that to you and tell you that birthright is happening very fast in our last moments before the break in a Israel woohoo moment. Apparently, um, the CEO of Chevron, Chevron uh, is an Israeli gas company. They are saying that they could supply Europe with gas out of Israel, the Israel gas pipeline amid the crisis. My goodness, we used to make terrible fun. We live in Israel and here uh, we said we have no gas. (laughs) We have everything here. It's the only country where we have nothing. Well, apparently our pipeline is viable, says our Israeli executives, and they could revisit this. And it could get up and running. And let's see what else they say. Crazy. Who would ever think that Israel would supply gas to the world? Ha. Russia, hands around our necks. I don't know. Interesting to know what you think about it. Imagine. I don't know how many of you have filled up your gas tank later, but I had to. I had to 
pawn my engagement ring to fill my uh, Hyundai Gets recently. When we come back, we're going to talk about what it means to be the salt of the earth and does it apply today. See you on the other side. In a time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared, one man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American Time, 7 a.m. Israeli Time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Listen, if I'm starting to repeat myself, people, it's a little scary. It's really scary, but it means I'm growing in wisdom and depth. Or, listen, I can, what is it? I can laugh at my jokes every day, same ones. Uh, before we go to Parsha, I do want to say uh, I came across this other article that I thought was very exciting. I liked it. And, um, Again, can't tell you the source. I just kind of jot things down and think I really should have sourced that. So apparently dozens of Haredim, or my least favorite term, ultra-Orthodox Jews, I don't know what ultra is, but um, dozens of Haredim recently joined the Israeli Air Force as engineering equipment operators. I don't even know what that really means. I'm driving a truck. But anyway, the mechanical engineering route for Haredim to join the army it has existed for 11 years. It's been, the program's been there, but this group is really the largest yet and um, signals a growing trend of integrating these, here comes the term again, the ultra-Orthodox into uh, the Israel's uh, military service. And dozens of these soldiers celebrated just this past week. It was the most glorious video as they joined the Israeli Air Force as part of the largest ever effort of integrating them into the Israeli Air Force, I guess, into the actually the whole military. I just found that very fascinating and keeping our eyes on current events, current events in Israel. If you want to have the vibe here, I'm telling you, it's not only uh, women soldiers that are so interesting, um, black soldiers, white soldiers, Russian soldiers, but now you also will see Haredi soldiers. And it's very, very eye-opening. Okay, this week's Parsha is called, called, did you hear that? Called, it's called Vayikra, Vayikra, calling, the calling. So in the writings of Yalkut Me'am Loaz, this was an outstanding Ladino commentary um, on the Bible or on the Tanakh. It tells a story about the second day of the creation, the Briyat HaOlam. Before creation, the entire world was laden with water. I mean, we really are. We are the, all of us are the products of a water birth. But on the second day of creation, God stipulated the creation of the sky, which should separate the lower and higher waters. Now, at this time, the lower waters began to cry because they had not been worthy enough to be in the higher world. 
God decrees that they must remain in the lower level. However, he also proclaimed, this is the writing of the Ma'amloaz, that because the lower waters had worked so hard to join him, they would be given a reward. All sacrifices which will be brought by the Jewish people should have salt with them. And the only place where they could procure it would be from the lower waters. When we, be, when we speak about somebody who's a great person or a worthy person, we say that he's the salt of the earth. I know a lot of you have said, where does that term come from? So in ancient times, salt was very, very valuable because of its preserving power. In fact, I read, I can't, again, something else I can't remember, but that um, in certain uh, civilizations, it was used as a form of currency. What does this have to do with Jews? In the Jewish religion, salt was even more important. The salt that we have on our tables teaches us three basic tenets of Judaism. The concept of teshuvah, which is repentance, the concept of tzedakah, charity, and the value of divrei Torah, words of the Torah. So in this particular Parsha, if you can go and count it, if you choose, the 13th sentence, did I do my whole homework? It says, With all of your offerings, you should bring salt. This tractate teaches us that in the same way that you all should always have salt with your offerings to God, you also have salt on your table when you eat. The family table, it's akin to a mizbeach, an altar of the table. That's according to the Gemara, because even as salt with the offering serve as a kind of an admission of guilt and remorse, so too the salt on the family tables performs the same purpose. I'm actually getting off text when I say if we recognize this and accept this, that our family table is indeed an altar, doesn't it mean that the conversations around the family table should be a tad elevated? That the way we perceive the bounty from God is perceived as holy? Imagine how it would change if instead of slumping and throwing and having the cell phones all over the table, we said, oh, my gosh, we are replicating all that is holy. The salt in our tables also teaches us the concept of tzedakah in the biblical town of uh, the biblical times of Lot. We all remember Lot and the wife of Lot. The towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed because they had no pity on the poor among them who sought charity. Lot, uh, actually, I think it was Lot's wife. What was it Lot? They actually accidentally tipped off the neighbors to the fact that they had visitors, Avraham and the angels, in the house when they went out, when she went out to borrow some salt from a neighbor. Now, the salt on our tables reminds us of that destruction that was rained down on those two cities, or we say, Mida, Kaneged Mida, measure for measure, in the form of salt and sulfur. When a poor person comes to us, we offer him food and salt from our table. Lastly, uh, in our salt discussion, the salt um, can remind us to recite these words of Torah at our table. You know, we learn that even as it's impossible for the world to exist without salt, 
we know we say with this sodium added to a lot of our fruit, uh, a lot of our foods, salt is iodized. I mean, there's a whole discussion about that. We can't live without words of Torah. This also solves the problem with the Mishnah that says bread and salt you should eat. Do I have to be commanded what to eat? Like the stickers on the gas station that says uh, use unleaded fuel only? No. It reminds us that when we eat, we should have words of Torah because the recitation of his words actually elevates us to the status of eating at his table. And for any of the women that are listening in, or I shouldn't say that that's kind of sexist, for any of the bakers here, anybody who bakes, you know that when you bake a chocolate cake, whether it be from um, pure unsweetened uh, cocoa, solid cocoa, or cocoa powder, you have to add salt to the batter. If you don't add salt, you won't be bringing out the inherent sweetness of the chocolate. So um, let's see. This is I found this as an interesting, for those of us who are celebrating to, uh, Shabbos tomorrow night, I found this as an interesting, you know, each week I like to do a kind of from the Torah to your table, to your Shabbos table discussion. So I want to know what you think about this. Um, in the Midrash, Midrash Hagadol holds that Hashem values the poor man's gift of flour as much as if he had offered his very life. So what does that even mean? The Almighty proclaims the measure of flour may have been the sole provision which he had in the house. He could have used it to sustain his family, and yet he offered it as a gift to me, leaving his house bare of food. His offering, therefore, is considered as precious to me as if he had sacrificed the same sacrifices as those with means. One man's flower is another man's gold. All right. So um, let's see. Moshe, he hears the voice of God as God calls to him. However, it's not the same experience as it was on Sinai. Remember Sinai? Loud noise, fanfare, thunder, lighting, pageantry, awe. At Sinai, even the sound waves were visible and real. But now, in this Parsha, there's a private revelation that's exclusive to Moshe. The great heavenly voice is not heard outside the precincts of the tabernacle. You know, external events can make a very great impression on us physically, spiritually, but they're only temporary influences. We talk about this each week, that for inspiration to last, we must get invested in that inspiration. You know, it's easier to hear the loud sounds than furtive whispers. Um, furtive whispers, it demands a desire to hear not an automatic reflex of auditive senses. Extraneous noise can cancel anything. It's true in the pursuit of meaningful spiritual lives. The outset static of everyday life, of the mundane, the foolishness, the gossip. We should concentrate more on hearing our own inner self and soul. There's a reference to the flower and the oil, like the greatest of sacrifices on the altar, it ranks most holy 
What does it say in Psalms? In the Psalms, the poetry of David HaMelech? Quote, for he would not despise or scorn the misery of a poor man. And when he cries out to him, he hears. My friends, there's a lot of strife out there. Many of us are unnerved. We're waking up shaking. Everybody listening in, we're one team. We're one world. Let's make our holy tables replicate the altar of God. Shabbat Shalom Mivorach from Jerusalem. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicoleco from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Garris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 